Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 28th episode of the Kent Non League podcast with me, John Phipps, and Matt Gerrard. Quite a simple thing for the number this week. I live at number 28, which probably goes to prove that despite last week's comments about the master bedroom in our house, clearly not quite the mansion Matt thinks it is, as who's ever heard of a mansion at number 28? Anyway, Matt Gerrard, how are you? Not bad. Do you change the subject a little bit? Do you watch a programme called uh, Inside Number 9? Talking about numbers. Uh, very, fu- I- very funny programme with the guys from the League of Gentlemen. Look, I watched League of Gentlemen. I've, I've seen a, house numbers. I've seen a couple of them, but um, I haven't I haven't watched any of the last series. But I've heard the reviews of it are absolutely amazing. Yeah, very good program, very funny, but a bit black, like a bit of dark humour and sort of things like that. But yeah, it's up my current program at the moment. And of course, this week I, I felt very sad because Frasier up with the bridge. Look back at episode twenty-five or something on this pod. It's my favourite program. But Frasier was also up there. In, Marty Crane died this week. Got actress played him. Felt really sad because I absolutely love Frasier. Another program out there. Brilliant. So so clever. So so funny. But there you go. That's my TV review. Maybe one later. I know there's going to be one later anyway, but we're, it won't quite be as good as Frasier from, from from the limited bits I know about it. But we will discuss that much much later on. And Frasier was one I always missed, unfortunately. I think I was just a little bit too young to sort of get into it at the start. And I'm very much someone who. If I don't get into a program at the start, I find it quite hard, so I have to go back to the very start to watch it. And and I think for Frasier, I was only about eleven or twelve when it started, so that kind of pushed me, uh, made it a little bit difficult for me. But I, I, from what I've heard, you know, he was a bit of a legend, and obviously very sad that he's passed away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Frasier's one of these programs you can watch it. It's it's an old program, probably even fifteen, twenty years old, but the humour in it is just so clever. I mean. So I always thought, well, I must have watched every single episode about five times. Probably the only program I ever watched over and over again. Even though I know it was coming, it's just so clever. So comedy right again its best there. Excellent. Well, that, that and, of course, the Kent Non-League podcast. Um, <laughs> this week's show's a little bit like the FA Trophy. I had high hopes of getting plenty of interviews, but we've ended up with fewer than expected. Um, although when I first wrote that line at half past ten, it was really funny as we only had one interview. Um, and as I rewrote it just before 11 o'clock, it has doubled to two after a late night chat, which I thoroughly enjoyed with the sitting-born chairman, and you'll hear that later on. Anyway, I've just mentioned it, so let's start with the FA Trophy. Three Kent teams had their eyes on the quarterfinals, but ultimately only one of them has made it. Bromley had a couple of scares along the way, but in the end they beat Workington 7-1 in Tuesday night's replay. It was Jack Holland's goal 11 minutes from time that earned them the replay in the first place. And after taking an early lead on Tuesday, they were soon pegged back, but Neil Smith's men won riot in the second half. That is a great win for them, isn't it, Matt? It's a fantastic result. It's a real tricky one, Workington. You know, no mugs in that. And the reports I gather, they got out of jail a little bit up in the Cumbria away, but they've They've put them to the sword now, and I think Bromley can really see that the draw for the next round of it got um, maybe quite good for them as well. So, um, yeah, I think it's a fantastic result, and I'm sure Neil Smith can think with some of the sides left in this competition, they've got an absolutely fantastic chance to get to Wembley now. And the goals are spread around as well, which is what I'm sure he would have liked to have seen. You know, that they are. They're a side that I think a lot of people still don't maybe think are, are the real deal, but they, they really are, Bromley. They're a good side. They score goals. They've got a good goalkeeper. They seem solid at the back. I think it's going to be a good 2018 for Bromley. I think it's, they're quite pleasing on the eye, football. Of course, they've got 3G surface, so that helps a little bit um, with the flying football. Louis Dennis, we've talked about him. Hanlon, they've got in as well. Um, he did really well in his first spell. Hasn't really worked out for him in the league with Colchester. He's coming there for family there. Back of the net, one of Dio did well at Dartford. I like it. They've got a mixture of experience and um, youthfulness about them. And Neil Smith, you know, he's one of those characters that, you know, if he asked me to run through a brick wall, you'd probably do it. Cause he's one of those really good characters. I'm sure that his managerial reign in curtain jobs didn't really work out in a couple of jobs before, but now he's found a real home at Bromley and he's done an absolutely fantastic job. Fingers crossed they can go those two levels before now. So, we may have a chance. I thought two out of the three would go through. We only have one, which is really disappointing. Yeah, well, I mean, after round trips totting up to almost 1,500 miles in the three rounds so far, Bromley have finally got a home tie. But they certainly won't want to replay as it's not a local one, as they would host Spennymore Town, who are fifth in the National League North. Um, the the quarterfinals on February the 24th, it's a good tie for them. I think a home to a, a lower league team is what you'll always want, but... Spennymore are no mugs. They won 5-2 at East Thurrock in their own replay on Tuesday night. I don't think they can take that one lightly, can they? No, they, as you say, they've done the hard graph. 1,500 miles of the games they've played up to that point of view. 
now. They've got the home tie. Just got to make sure it's not seen as a gimme. Benny Moore, I think they got promoted from the Northern Premier League. I saw with Marina in the Northern Premier League, they're one of the struggling sides, but they were a really good side. So, you know, that's quite a good standard. I think the Conference uh, North, fifth place, they're doing really well. Just can't take it for granted, but they've done the hard work on the road. They're going to do it at home. Spenny Moore must be thinking uh, they've got a chance down there as well. So, they're going to be favourites, probably, but they just can't take it lightly. They've got to quarterfinals. They can, you know, as I said before, you can probably see the Twin Towers now. They've just got to be focused all the way. It'll be interesting to see what sides they play out the games coming up to that because I'm sure Bromley fans want to go to Wembley and with 3G service, we don't know if they can get promoted anyway. Okay, <laughs> that's a different story, so we're not going down that route. But will they rest a few players beforehand? Could be interesting to see that one. Five of the eight ties in total went to replays, but the other Kent side who had one did not fare quite so well. Mason went out 3-0 up at Gateshead. It might have been a different story had Jamal Lozer not missed an early penalty as well. Lozer had given Stones a lead on Saturday in the original tie, but the home side were pegged back and needed a late goal from Joe Reason to get the replay. Ultimately, though, it was a waste of time. They were well beaten up at Gateshead, and, and Maidstone's disappointing run goes on. Yeah, I think, I think their record for the penalty spot's not been too good either. I think they didn't reason miss a penalty up there in the first game. Uh, I think they've had the four game. penalties against Gateshead so far this season. Yeah, <laughs> crazy. So, um, yeah, I always thought it was going to be a tough ask. Um, they got that late, late equaliser on Saturday. That may have given them a little bit of confidence. But I think Gateshead's results haven't been particularly good. But they haven't been losing many matches, I don't think so. And up there, it's a long old trek to go. I bet it was absolutely freezing up there. Again, Nerves would have gone a bit of lift with that penalty, but you probably is run there on at the moment, missing a penalty early on doors, confidence dropped, and then Gateshead took control. So, yeah, Maidstone, they've got a good game this weekend, maybe to get back on the horse, but 2018 hasn't really been a great start as we're into February for them. Interesting, I saw Jay Saunders saying, you know, he doesn't think his job's safe. I mean, we, when we spoke to Terry Casey on New Year's Day, he was very much in the mindset, you know, that they love Jay Saunders and, and, and what, he's, what he's done there. And, and I don't think his job, by any stretch of imagination, is at risk, but he will be desperate to get a result soon, won't he? Yeah, but maybe he's deflecting it from the players a bit, or under a little bit of pressure, from maybe from the supporters, uh, that results haven't gone their way. I, I can't believe that Maidstone would get rid of um, Chase Saunders in any way. He's doing a very good job. He's just on a, on a sticky patch at the moment. And you look at Tony Berman, what job he did at Darfur, it would be very easy to Darfur to have sacked him earlier in, you know, when they were struggling in the National League when they got relegated two consecutive seasons so uh, it's just a little bit of uh, consistency uh, and, that, and of course Jason has won the academy as well we've seen how many Maidstone players have progressed through the academy so he knows what the future is for the club as well maybe they need a little bit of like any club like particularly other clubs in the Ken area maybe they need a bit of input of new players so I'm sure they'll be working on that yeah, and that just leaves Dover. Um, it sounds like if you were neutral, that was a great game at Crabble on Saturday, Matt. But having been 3-0 down and then pegged it back to 3-3, it must have been a real sucker punch for the Whites to concede again and go out 4-3 against Leighton Orient. Um, Ryan Bird on target, though, Matt. Two more goals for him. He's, he's, he's sticking the ball in, isn't he? It's interesting about Ryan Bird. Um, for me, Ryan Bird doesn't do enough. He scores goals. I'll ask you the question at the moment. For me, his build-up play, his back-to-goal play, he's flicking the ball on. He's pretty poor, I think, compared to other strikers in this division. But if the ball's in the six-yard box, eight yards out, he'll score and get on the end of it. And the Chris Kinnear side, from players they've had previously, like Stefan Payne, they did a lot of donkey work outside the penalty area. Lafayette, another example, last season when he played, didn't score that many goals, Lafayette. But his build-up play, his hold-up play, bringing players into play, helps Dover. And when Dover do that in the final third, if Bird does get one, moves it on, Dover start playing football, that's what they call problems. They've got players who can whip the ball in and go past players. For me, he scored 16 goals this season. I still think he could be doing more. I like my centre force to be a little bit rough and ready, if you if you like, you know, roughen them up and also be good back to goal. I don't think Bird's that man. And I think Dover, you know, fair play to him, he's played every single game this season. 16 goals. He's just got to do more for me uh, to help Dover out to get other players involved in the game. I don't know where you stand. Would you 16 goals? Are you are you a 
he's got 16 goals, he must be doing his job then. Well, I think so, because at the, at the end of the day, they always say the hardest thing to do in football is to stick the ball in the back of the net. And you can't be sitting here in early February and saying, oh, he's not had a very good season, he's got 16 goals. You know, there were teams, cry, Maidstone, for example, would be crying out for a striker with 16 goals. You know, they wouldn't care too much about what else he's doing. I completely see your point in that, you know, he's got to be part of the team. But... If he's scoring goals and Dover are winning, then his actual all-round performance doesn't matter. And at the end of the day, yeah, obviously you're disappointed that Dover went out of the FA Trophy at the weekend. And as you said last week, it probably means the earlier rounds were a little bit of a waste of time. But ultimately, if he's scoring goals, Dover are getting results, they're still in the playoffs, then it doesn't matter how what his all-round performance is like, as, as long as the end result is effective. And, you know, 16 goals, that's, that's not too dusty. I, I, you know, we talked a little bit about Jordan Chidozzi last week and saying sometimes he doesn't do enough off the ball, but he's got 30 goals this season. And, you know, ultimately, if you're a striker, the only thing people are going to judge you on is how many goals you've scored. And Ryan Bird's got 16 goals. He's one of the top scorers in the National League. I don't know what you're moaning about. <laughs> oh, I'm just used to other strikers that Dover have played in the last couple of seasons. You, you had Miller, of course. He's a different kettle of fish to Bird. But you had Stefan Payne, Lafayette, come short, come to the ball, lay it off. Dover do play front to back pretty quick, but when they get the ball inside the thinking, I'll control the ball up, they can get other players into play, the wingers in from that. That's all I'm asking. But I can't grumble with it. All these 16 goals, apart from one for the penalty spot, have been in the eight-yard area. And if you do put it in the penalty area, particularly in the last game, a lot of his goals come in the last 15, 20 minutes of games, he will get on the end of it. But from the way David has played before and been successful seasons ago, you need more from your centre-forward as well now. Because another concern is, apart from there's no other real goal scorers in there, Pinnock scored a few recently, but they need, you know, Payne and people like that, Lafayette, help other players score goals for that position. That's what I'm asking for. And if you do listen to this, right, I'm not having a go at you. I think he's going to work a little bit harder back to goal. I've seen strikers in the National League back to goal, hold the ball, spread the play and it causes issues. I just want to see more from him from that point of view. But, you know, Jason Burns, the David Media guy, you know, castigates me for saying this all the time, but I just want to see a little bit more from him, that's all. Well, if you look at it that way, though, I mean, obviously you've got James Alabi there as well now, back again. And where, where does he fit into it all? Because, you could easily make a case if 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 you think he's got more to offer, sort of as an all round sort of striker. You could easily make a case from your point, from the way you're coming out by saying, well, he should be in instead of Bird. But then, as I said earlier, Bird's got 16 goals this season. You're not going to drop him, are you? Uh, I'm not saying drop him, but I think there needs to be competition for his place. Uh, I'd like a. Alabi seems to be a man that you know he wants the ball to run onto. He wants to play centrally, back to goal. Alabi's done a few a good few good things. He can hold the ball up and play as to play. He's not as tall as Bird and maybe not as good as in the air as Bird. But I just think a different threat from Dover point of view, if they can get a put Kyle the forward may help in the long run and give, maybe give him a better rest. And Bird's record games he gets better, or his goal scoring record gets better as the game goes on. Maybe I'm not asking Telly Chris Kinnear what to do here. Bringing another striker in, easier said than done because everyone's a striker. They maybe could utilise Bird a little bit from the bench. Dover are looking a little bit tired at the moment. I think six out of the 11 players have played nearly 100% of the game. So a refresh of the squad could be could be working in their favour. Again, this is like a castigated Ryan Bird from this. He's done a good job for the side, side of the penalty area. I think it could be a little bit better if he, just, if he could play to Dover's team strength as well. Just hold the ball up, move it on. And just very quickly, we mentioned him last week, you mentioned him there, but Ricky Miller um, did get a move on deadline day last week to Mansfield Town, where I'd imagine the uh, ever calm Steve Evans will be only too keen to take Ricky Miller under his wing, wouldn't you? That is, uh, it's like EastEnders when they probably catch, when they probably, there's bound to be something happening between them, Steve Evans and uh, Ricky Miller, that's, uh, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's an interesting, it's a fly on the wall documentary, surely. Absolutely. Avoid the winners of that tie and probably avoid Billericay. Surely Bromley will be there, won't they? 
I think uh, they've got a very good chance. Uh, a very, very good chance. Uh, it's probably made up for late Norman be Billericay, probably the local this game on the semi-final. Uh, Billericay, fair play to them. Always winning games for that point. Bromley, it's got to be their main priority now, I think. Got to be that the trophy is the main priority. Spending more from that. Good to see Luke. No, he's extending the squad. He's got a couple of strikers in. Bugle and Hanlon, that we mentioned earlier. So, strong, the squad's strong enough now. All priorities to the trophy. Bromley at Wembley. You know, I don't know how many they take, but it's a good area there. Having a good season. For me, got to make it your number one priority. I certainly know two people that they'll take if uh, if Bromley get to the FA Trophy final. Anyway, in the National League, Ebbsfleet squeezed in a trip to Tramere at the weekend, lost out 3-0, and they need to improve their form sharpest to try and avoid this season tailing off. Um, this weekend, they're at home to a resurgent Solihull Moors, Dover at home to Sutton, and it's the return of El Plastico when Bromley hosts Maidstone United. Big games, but I've got a question that's nagging me, Matt. When was the last time Dover played miles away? It seems like they've always had home games lately or local away games. Have they still got some long trips to come, I assume? Yeah, I think this is, you know, I see a lot of the home games will go for occasional away games. A few games they won't be going to now because they've got uh, Solihull Saturday, then they've got to go to Files, and then Eastley. Uh, I think that's about it. But they, a lot of them, they put them in in the early part of the season. They just had a lot of home games on the spin because they had two trophy ties as well. So, yeah, they've got, they've got some treks to come and maybe get away from Crabble, maybe could do things. But some big games now, left to concentrate on the league. Um, they've got a chance, but they do need to extend the squad. Absolutely. Right, let's get on to the first of our interviews this week then. Um, on Saturday, I braved the wet and cold to head over to Sheffield United to see them take on league leader Sevenoaks. The quality of the game may not have been quite what I was hoping for, but in the end, the entertainment shone through. Um, the Ites took the lead and they were given a penalty, which from my viewpoint looked pretty nailed on, I must admit. And although Ian Batten's kick was poor, I overheard him describe it himself as a back pass. It was spilled by Jack Bradshaw and Rob Saunders followed up to score. Oaks hit the bar and had one off the line before half-time. And after things were they completely dominated. They were able to find a way through though, but then Saunders was sent off. It was a tough one to call. Byron Walker and Saunders went for the ball and it looked to me like Saunders connected Walker on his way to getting the ball. It was right in front of the Seven Oaks dugout and the bench were all up in arms about it. Saunders had already been booked, and as you'll hear, Mickey Collins had his view on it. I didn't realise at the time that Saunders had already been booked, and in summary, I think all I can say from the angle I was at was that if you've been booked, you can't afford to slide in like he did. And soon after that, Kenny Pogue got the visitors level, the sub tapping in a deflected cross from close range, and then right at the death, Pogue nodded across goalwards, and it's gone under the keeper's body and into the back of the net. Pogue, on his debut, experienced goal scorer, and what an impact he's made. Um, not for the first time this season when I've been there. The visiting team got plenty of stick from the home fans as they came off. But once the dust had settled, I'd grab Seven Oaks boss Mickey Collins for a chat about the game, the red card and the situation at the top of the scaffold. How big a win is that? We needed it. Desperately needed it. You know, We haven't been great of late and I don't think we were that great today, to be honest, at times. But um, sometimes you've got to dig deep and get a result. And um, we've managed to get it over the line at the end. And uh, yeah, great game. Proper non-league game. Had everything. So... Um, yeah it, was a good, yeah, it was a good game. I think I was looking at it at one point and thinking, you might seem to be struggling a little bit because you haven't had a lot of games lately, have you? It doesn't help. You know, at times, you know, you can you can look at it and look at fixtures and we've had one midweek game in two and a half months or something silly and then all of a sudden you've got a backlog and you're going to play Saturday, Tuesday. But we had a game called off two weeks ago, so you, that little bit of momentum, that's, that's what happens. But we haven't lost in that period and that's what I kept saying to people. You know, we, you don't become a bad side overnight and, you know, we've drawn three on the bounce and then today we've come here and pulled a, a, what could have been a defeat out of the, out the bag and, you know, credit to them. I thought they were I thought they were excellent. I thought they went about their business well and I thought they stopped us and, and you know, deserved their 1-0 lead at half-time. The game probably changed on the red card. You had the best view of it of anyone. It, it looked to me like he, he, he got the man. It, for me, it was no intention in it at all. Um, but for me, it was a yellow card wasn't a red card it was a yellow um, and to get the ball he had to get the man um, luckily and I said that to the, to the lad because he's a nice lad and I know he's not got that in him at all so it wasn't in my opinion a bad tackle it was just slightly late um, and Byron rode and as he rode it if he hadn't in it been a standing leg we may have had more of an issue unfortunately Byron was mobile enough to be spinning so for me it was definitely a yellow and um, 
he's already built it's not, not my problem no and, and then you know your guy stuck in there the first goal he probably couldn't have missed it but good for him to get on the score sheet we brought him in for that reason we create a lot of chances as you see today you know we probably could have had quite a few more goals and we put the ball in the box and we tried to put crosses in and we just haven't had that person that's dynamic enough to go and put it in and we brought him in and he ain't fit but he's gone on there and, and done the business and as a manager you know reporting back to your chairman tonight it's, um, yeah, it's a bonus and I, I know he's a good lad as well and he's come for the right reasons and, and the winning goal, I mean, it's gone under the keeper, but you, you get a bit of luck, don't you? And, and you've got to be pleased with it. Again, it's another cross. It's another cross. He's attacked it, and whether he's got it on it, whether you, you know, you blame the keeper or whether you, it's a good header, it's, for me, it's an irrelevance, and it's 2 1. And hopefully, we carry it over the line and get three points, which we managed to do. And obviously, you've come off, and uh, I guess you already know that Crover and Breckenham grew. So that's, you know, really a good result for you. And it, it's up to you to keep on winning now. It's, yeah, I mean, the thing for us, even though we've had the blip and we've drawn three games, doesn't mean we can't go and lose the next two. The league's like that, and it's, it's, you know, that's how it is. And it's great that there's four sides up there all vying for it, probably more. Um, and it could go either way, which is brilliant. We've, we've done our hard work in the first part of the season, but we've achieved nothing. And I keep saying that to them, but we've just got to keep ticking results off. And they're on a good vein of form. So to come here and get three points however we got them, yeah, I've got to be pleased with that. It's a difficult place to come here, isn't it? It's a lovely place. And uh, do you know what? Every time I come here, I'm amazed by how good it is and what effort they put in and what a great club it is. Um, you know, the facilities are fantastic. They deserve to be a, a league higher and going, a, going a, up against some, some really big Kent clubs and, and enjoying what they've done. But they, they're a great club. And, it's, you know, the change rooms are fantastic. The pitch is good. Everything about it is, is a really nice place. And, yeah, unfortunately enough, I've, I've not come here and lost yet. So, you know, but today was close, very close. And I suppose, you know, you're looking at the league table now. If, if you do go on and win this league, you can look back at today. And today could be one of the days that sort of really pushed it in your favour. We just said that. We just said that in there. You know, when, you, when you're on a run and you're not playing as best you can, there's days where you, you go and get a, a late winner and, and all of a sudden you, you, you're happy with it and you think, yeah, that could be the turning point. Could be the turning point in our season. If we'd have finished 1-0 today and lost, we might have been going in on Tuesday all doom and gloom and then we've got to go to Beersted and now the pressure's on. So um, the, lads, the lads came good and, um, yeah, I trust in them. It's just a bit of a bit of a blip, and it's just not you know it's not happened. You just said that you got beasted on Saturday. They're doing quite well, aren't they? And another tricky one to go away from home. I've said it all along, and I've been in this position before, and I've won it before. And, and the thing is, when you're top of the league, everyone wants to beat you, and so they should. And that's how it should be. And you know, and, and so we've got to take that pressure, and we've got to deal with it, and, and get results. And that's it's a results business at the end of the day. If we go and implode now and, and don't get it over the line, we'll all be disappointed because we've set out to go and win a league title. We're not in any other competition, which is something I'm quite happy about, so we can concentrate on one thing. We've now got 18 games to go. We know the points total we need to win it, and we have to just knuckle down and do it. It's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, I'm not going to say good performance today, but sometimes you've got to win ugly, and we'll take the three points. Um, good interview, that one, Matt, and, and I enjoyed chatting to him afterwards as well. Um, Mickey was actually the first manager I phoned to get an interview for the show, and, call, and him calling me straight back and agreeing to chat was a pretty big moment for this podcast and, and my hopes for how it was going to go. He's a passionate bloke on the sidelines, and from what I read, he can rub people up the wrong way with that. But I always take people as I find them, and I find Ricky Collins to be a really good bloke. And after that, he may well be a bloke who's going to lead his team to the title. Yeah, he seemed a bit brilliant man after the game, of course. And how important is that? Two goals in the last six minutes to win that at Sheffield. She said it's a, it's a good ground, good place to go to. Probably a, a big win there. Kenny Pogue, his name rings a bell where he's been around, but... Um, Goal scorer that, and you mentioned Byron Walker, who's been around the thing as well. A bit of experience there. That is a, a massive three points for Seven Oaks from, from that point of view. And, and, what, and what did you think of the standard of the, of the, of the game, John? I didn't think it was it was that great. I mean, obviously, it's the third time I've been to Sheppey this season, so I've seen them play against Tunbridge Wells, Canterbury, and uh, and now Seven Oaks. And the Canterbury game was a really good game. I thought really interesting game of football, and the Tunbridge Wells game was a good one. That. The one on Saturday wasn't quite as good. I don't know if the conditions played a part. Um, Sheppey, you know, they got the goal. And Seven Oaks were, were pretty lethargic in the first half at times. And I was pondering, as, as you heard me say to Mickey Collins there, you know, they've not played a lot of football. They've not been in great form. And I think they were kind of stuttering a bit. So the fact that they were able to fight back and win that, they've obviously got some good players. I think there was a few people missing. And, and you know, and it was a little bit of a tetchy game at times as well. But ultimately, the, the standard of the game really won't bother Mickey Collins one bit because they've got three points. That is a massive three points for them as well, given, you know, other other results and their recent form. To have got that win is absolutely superb. It, it wasn't a, a brilliant game of football by, by any stretch of the imagination, but for seven quid, I still don't think you can go wrong at that level. No, not at all. Amazing, and you think they've still got 18 games to play in the league. It's like, interesting the point that he made. And of course, 
they haven't had a midweek game for ages. Now they're really going to pile up. So it does think that the league organisation could be a little bit better from that point of view. But it is a big win. Wits on a bit of a charge as well. Uh, Beckenham as well looking behind it. But just a, a result. Not many people. Sheppey's home form has been good. It's only their third defeat of the season in uh, in uh, 11 games. So And they score goals at home. So big three points for them. And it'll be interesting to see where they go from there. If they can build on that now. And it's interesting to tell Kenny Pogue. Where's he been around, Pogue? Hastings, I certainly know him from Hastings. I think he had a spell at Hythe as well. But he's a, you know, he's he's an experienced goal getter, and to, it it's a great coup for Sevenoaks to get him in to play at this level. And you know, Mickey Collins, as you heard him say there, he's not quite match fit, but he wants to come and score goals, and he knows where the goal is. That, that's all you can ask for. How, how good were the celebrations? Well, did the Sevenoaks players and management look relieved with that that winning goal one in the nineteenth minute? Absolutely, yeah, they were they were very excited, and um, you know you do have to run the gauntlet at, um, at Sheppey. You really do because the the Sheppey fans are brilliant. They are so good. They're so passionate. They make so much noise. And then when you come off the pitch at the end of the game, you do go right down. They've got one of those over tunnel things now, so at least the players can get can get down the tunnel. But as they were coming off the pitch. Like the you know the seven uh, the Sheppey fans were giving them plenty of stick, but the the all the seven Oaks players they were celebrating. They were going, "Oh, we're top of the league!" You know, we we won the game. They were absolutely thrilled. And you know, you, as I said to Mickey Collins, there you get the feeling that if they go on and win this league and get that promotion that they so desperately want, they will look back on that Saturday in early February in Sheppey and think that was the day that it turned around. Yeah, I think it's a it's a really good result as well. Which the ball I say on the march at the moment, and Mickey Collins probably needed that. He said they haven't been playing too well. The game have we got fixtures this week again? Did he say that they, games aren't coming off? They got a week off this week again. No, they've got uh, Beerstead away on Saturday, and then they've got I think they're oh, at yeah. Irith or they play Irith on Tuesday night as well. So the, the midweek games are starting in earnest now for them, and uh, you know it is it's still tight at the top, but they have still got that buffer there. You know they're a couple of points clear. They've got games in hand still. This is when they've got to stand up and be counted. And the fact they brought in Poe, they've reinforced that squad. You know they signed Ben Wilson from Hyde as well recently. But they're getting that experience in. Mickey Collins knows what it's all about. He's been here, done it before. And I think, you know, now is the time that if they can get two more wins this week in games that they will look at and think they probably should be winning, then I think that they will be looking at and thinking, you know, this is the time they can really kick on and leave the, the rest in their dust. I mean, we, we heard there that, you know, that he came off the pitch and Crober and Beckham had drawn. So Whitstall moved up to second spot. Um, you know, and it is—it's a tight division. It's been tight all season, but now if Seven Oaks can just put that run together, I think that they can just move away from the pack and come the end of the season. I think they're going to be celebrating. Yeah, I think they're in a good position now um, from that point of view. But but now this is where the league starts getting exciting. You know, we complained about the game missing weeks now, but there's going to be games every week, an important game because the, you know we're going to be in the middle of February soon, and, and you know Seven Oaks going to do 18 games and so have a lot of sides. So. Week in, week out, on a midweek, you're going to be looking at the results and see what they do. There'll be some ups, there'll be some, some time downs, but seven oaks in pole position, they just got to keep that momentum going. Yeah, elsewhere in that division, Tunbridge Wells twice came from behind to win their big derby with Russell 3 2. The second time this season, Chatham had a goalkeeper score as they rescued a 1 1 draw against Croydon. We also wins for Rochester United, Lordswood, and Cray Valley PM. This weekend sees the Kent Senior Trophy semi finals with Canterbury hosting Sheppey and Whitswell home to inform Cray Valley. In the league, seven let's go to Beersted, Beckenham hosts Chatham, Corinthian hosts AFC Croydon, Glebe travel to Croydon, uh, Aerith meet Lordswood, it's Hollands and Blair against Tunbridge Wells and Russell take on Deal. And just one more little bit of news from the Southern Counties East League is that Canterbury City, currently ground sharing at Deal, will be playing at Faversham next season. Um, we're planning to get someone from the, from Canterbury on next week's show to tell us all about that one, but a lot closer for, for Canterbury next season to only have to go to Faversham. I think that's a good move for them, don't you? Yeah, I've been at home play before, so Faversham's yeah, a lot easier. Uh, facilities there at Faversham, since they've done them up from that point of view. I'm, I'm sure um, Canterbury, they're always desperate to move back to the to the city, aren't they? So um, hopefully, maybe, um, I don't know what the deal bridge, what arrangement was with Deal, maybe Deal didn't want it to carry on, but Faversham will, be, will look after them well. And fingers crossed for, mate, for, for Canterbury in the future. Yeah, in the uh, Boston League Premier Division, that man Jordan Chinozzi scored again as Margate beat Lowestoft, while Folkson overcame Brighton City Region 3-2. Summer Angels lost 4-2 at Needham Market, with two late goals putting a bit of gloss on it for the visitors. Um, this weekend, Margate travelled to deepest, darkest Essex to take on Brighton City. Folkson are at Worthing and Summer Angels are at home to Staines Town. In Division 1 South, not a single Kent side won on Saturday. Cray Wanderers were held 1-1 by East Grinstead. Thamesmead drew 0-0 with Lewis and VCD drew 1-1 with Hastings. 
Astrid lost at home to Corinthian Casuals. Hive went down 2-1 at Carl Shorten. Barisham lost 2-0 at home to Chipstead. Phoenix were beaten at Walton Casuals. And Ramsgate lost 1-0 at Whiteleaf. On Tuesday night, Sam Denley's Hive Town beat his former club, Herne Bay, 2-1. And Sittingbourne's home game with Ramsgate was called off due to a waterlogged pitch. I was going to that game and, until the call-off, but I did manage to have a late-night chat with Sittingbourne chairman Morris Dunk. It's a good interview, this one. It's more than 10 minutes long, but it really is worth listening to. So here he is, Morris Dunk. So, Sittingbourne then, I mean, obviously, you, you, you've had a change of manager, and I guess you're hoping that the new man's going to come up trumps. Yeah, we, we, yeah, we would um, hope he would. Yeah, I mean, we've, I mean, the club's always gone this route, to be honest. It's, you can trace it back over history, you know. Even when I watched them when I was a kid, my dad taught me in the 60s that you know, when, when a manager went, invariably it was a player stepped up or somebody from the background or the back backroom staff or the system manager. I think when you look back on, on the people we've <laughs> given the chance to be Steve Lowell and, uh, you know, <laughs> so, so, um, certain goalkeeper at Chelsea, <laughs> you know, <laughs> different people, you know, there's all the, the, the you know, we, we, and, we, and that's how Nick came and I, I've got a lot of time for Nick. He's a, He's a good lad, and um, I've enjoyed working with him for for a half years. He's been he's been good, and, but you know that's what we do: we give some good chance, and hopefully it comes off, and we see where we go from there. You know, it's really sad for me to go because I've been chairman for six years, and Nick's with, been with us for three and a half of those as manager. You know, it's got quite a long time in non-league. You know, it's not Arsene Wenger, but it is a long time. You know, in non-league because they do we do change, tend to change. You know, when things go wrong, we try something else, don't we, normally? But we we were quite happy with Nick, to be honest. I haven't seen, I mean, having seen what Nick said and having seen what other people at the club, it, it seemed like it was probably the right time for both parties. Is that fair? I think it was. And I think, look, look I think um, it was Nick's first job. So the, it was the first time he's left as a manager as well. So he, he probably learned from it. And, you know, he might have, you know, a few years down the line, he might have handled it a bit different. We surely didn't hand it very well, and I put my hand up to that. I mean, I had a couple of chats with him after one two of the games, and you know, um, was honest with him about the where we were and where we weren't, and um, I had a couple of calls with him. But it, it kind of got, you know, running semi-pro football is really, really tough when you got a full-time job, and sometimes semi-pro football, you you need to be there all the time. You know, on a weekday, you need to be handling problems. I'm lucky I've got a lot of um, committee that are sort of retired and can do that. And I'm still a couple of years off that and work quite a high-pressure job in, in London. And, you know, I would like to have more time with Nick and he works in town and he's got a he's got a busy job, you know, and things. And it's so hard because it is semi-pro, but sometimes you want to be pro, you know, and really do the things the right way and get together and sort it out and make a joint statement. And some of the stuff from both sides has not, not been great, I kind of get out of that a bit because Nick was part of the furniture you know and he might have said one or two things do you know what it doesn't really bother me it's football we move and get on you know people talk too much about budgets you know it's uh, and bit you know even in the in the press it's it seems to be that you know you miss out on describing a good football match be, just because you know somebody's got a bigger budget it's really weird well first few headlines I doubt with the chairman was Oh, Sinbon beat the league leaguers. They're not right, no right to do that with on their budget. What's the budget got to do with it? It's 22 footballers. <laughs> and then the next thing is, is oh, they lost today. It's to be expected where they are with the budget. I said, hold on, what am I getting reading? You know, I'm in the camps and I want to get away from budget. <laughs> so let's have some football for a change. You know? I, so, I suppose it's an interesting project at Sittingbourne because. You know, I live in the town, and you know the ground yeah. is out of the town, isn't it? And and I suppose it yeah, makes and, it, and it difficult. And it's not, and it, it's not ideal, and it's not great, and there's a lot of things wrong. You know, it, historically, what it's got is a good fan base. I I walked in there with my first ever football game with my dad when I was, you know, in a, you know, sort of six or seven or something, and down the ball, ball ground. I was lucky to play for the reserves a bit in the seventies for about three years, and it's always been a good friendly club. The one thing it's always had, no matter what. If you put some want to sit on the moon or down the local reg, they'll still get people turn up because, you know, I remember when Maidstone went out years ago and, you know, Maidstone Council had a problem because they play in Moat Park or somewhere similar and, you know, 200 people turn up. Well, yeah, you, know, you always get 50 to 100 people watch sitting ball, even if we're playing in the Rochester League, I think, you know, <laughs> you know and that, that is a problem. It, look, they came to me six years ago and they were in trouble, you know, they couldn't. You know, Andy Spice done a fantastic job. He's a great bloke. 
he sort of said to me, in all honesty, he was, you know, sort of carrying it and, and could the module I had up there support them and we thought we could, so that's what we did, you know. And I, th I think everybody's been good about it and, and, and we're making very slow progress, but, you know, we're going the right way. I mean, Nick, Nick did a fantastic job this year, for instance, because uh, the beginning of the season we lost our development squad, which won the Ryman, as it was then, or Bostic as it is now, um, under 23 thing. You know, we, we, we were doing really well. We had a good underbelly. A lot of those kids were coming through. And then we lost one or two of our better players to some of the better clubs. And then we lost kind of like the development squad went with the two guys who went to Herne Bay. And then we lost the captain to Herne Bay. And we looked around and we hadn't got a side. So Nick Nick did a really good job. And we um, and we backed him. We, we backed ourselves to get him more sponsorship and all the rest of it and gave him a 40% increase and we backed that for 30 league games and you know all the cup games we've had we kept it at that and then we're looking at towards the end of season we're not going down we're not going up we've got to think about next season so we trimmed it back by 20 percent and you know it, it was to be fair i had a few conversations with him and he's probably taking it as far as it can could go you know to get that 40 percent we had to up our sponsorship up our get more people in the lottery and get more people through the gate which we've done through the youth teams and you know selling tickets to the youth teams and giving them some um, passes and things to get in on occasions you know we, we had to work really hard and, and then we then, we, then you plan for next year you know so, so um it, it is tough it is tough you know it's one of those for sitting on as well isn't it that i think you know you, you kind of have to look towards the younger players and we were talking about this on on the podcast we haven't got many many clubs in this sort of area you know obviously there's Gillingham up the no. road but in the middle of the yeah. county there's no standout yeah. non-league club so there's no, got to be we, local we... players out there isn't there yeah, we, we don't really, because I said we had the development squad last year on the back of that success, we started getting, we managed to keep all the rest of the, the teams. Now they're a bit younger, you know, they're sort of, the oldest was like under 15s, but we've got all of them down to under eight now, and I think we're up to about eight teams. And the news is we've got four or five more joining next year. So whatever, about 13 teams in our youth structure, I don't think Sydney's ever had that. And that is the way to go for us. There is there is one other little chink of light in the next couple of years. I mean, you've probably read about the local development yeah. from the Science Park. Well, that Science Park are our tenants. So we, we can, if there is a development, and it's been off and on for since I've been there 17 years, you know, it's been off and on. But you kind of think it's going to happen one day. And if that does happen, we could benefit from either having a few more houses around us. So we won't be so far out, though. <laughs> the houses will join us. Or, or it may be that we're in the way, so we might do quite well. <laughs> so I don't think the, you know, you know and I, I actually believe this will happen this time, the way it's where it's going. So all I can do with Sydney FC is try and set them up to sit in there with a good youth structure, try and get a good budget every year that makes us competitive. And then if a, if we get a, the opportunity to, to have a one-off little boost like a zip to the stadium or a bit of funds coming in or a, a major sponsor, we're in a good place to take, you know, to take, take care of it, really. I think that's, that's what we're doing, trying to bump along and keep it going. Because for six years, it's been survival first couple of years and then trying to build on it. I mean, we've never increased the budget until this year and it's like, like, like baby steps, really. You know? It's kind of um, just getting keep it going and... Um, when you get to a point in the season, you have to be quite ruthless and say, look, what are we going to end up with money-wise at the end of the season? We need to get a good start next season. We're not going down. We're not going to make the playoffs now. So let's put a young coach in and he's got his badges and everything and he's delighted at his age to give a chance. But then saw the show as Mark Bean at the time, I think, and Steve Lovell and Nick Davis. They've all you know, got a good chance. Suddenly. And John and Peter Pitts and Kevin, people who have been there for years, they believe that's the way to go, even if it's only while well, we're looking at the hundreds of applicants that come in every, every time we put one up, you know. So, um, so we've always gone that route, and I, I think it's just keeping, it's trying to keep us nicely placed, you know, and and do the supporters' favour because supporters are fantastic. It's an awful club. I mean, I, when I played, you know, some of them remember I played, and they, when I played the reserves, and things, they said, "You want to go good, but." tried and that's what we do at Sydney we try and that's what I think the committee does certainly the supporters do you know 
we can go to the other end of Sussex and there's still 50 people there watching us, you know, from home. So it gives the players a nice boost when they're calling their names and writing, singing songs about them. They love all that. So, uh, yeah, it's um, it's sad, really, with losing Nick because, you know, his dad used to drive them mini bars and, and uh, his dad just come down out with the ground and it's kind of like, we are a family club. And, and once, if you get your feet under the table and like it's not there's not a lot not to like to be honest i think that's the thing isn't it you know clubs like sitting board they do have to be family clubs at the heart of the community i mean realistically the club's never gonna without millions of pounds being chucked into it's never gonna climb that far up the pyramid you just gotta get get by and and just do what you can at this level isn't it yeah i think so and and, and as i said with this development there may be something we can tap into there you know it's happened to one or two clubs there's there's talk of the rugby club in Sydney moving um, over the road into development now and getting a new ground. You know, there was talk of us having a new ground with the previous owners. Or there was talk of us that if we were in the way, they would change it a bit and maybe upgrade it. So, you know, and, and, and a few houses around means a few more supporters, you know. So who knows? I think it's all we can do as a community is put it in its best place. Um, we are a Bostic self club. We want to, make, you know, maintain that. And hopefully one day something like that will happen and we're ready to take the chance with both hands because, you know, you, these sort of things, when you get a development and, uh, you know, put in your all-weather pitches, they, they tend to come along once, you know. You know you'll be lucky if you get two or three injections like that. But um, just putting stuff in a good place, I think, is the key. Matt, that's a great interview, isn't it? Not only do you speak passionately, but he's very sensible about where Sittingbourne are as a club and, and as always we had a good chat off the record as well but more importantly what came out of that interview was his passion for the club and his belief that he's doing the right thing for Sittingbourne. Yeah, the thing that came out for me is that he's not one of these chairmen who say oh we're going to be Ryman Devon Bostick Premier or National League South in five years or whatever that he knows the limitations of City uh, and where they want to go. I like how you know be disappointed how it works with uh, Nick Davis. Maybe both parties didn't handle it in the right way, so he's big enough to say that. And he'll le- learn from that point of view since he's been there. There's some good people at Sittingbourne, and, and I think Sittingbourne supporters who he said do travel in their numbers, you know, in, in the difficult grounds or situation they've had or they've got at the moment. But I think uh, they're heading in the right direction, and, I, and I think that's what came out to him. He wasn't some of these people that you speak to that think, uh, oh, well, yeah, we're going to do this, that, and the other. He knows where they're at. And he's, he's going to work with the club just to stabilise them as they are. He's not going to do anything crazy. And good luck for Sittingbourne from that point of view. And, and I think it was a really good interview. And he seems a, a top top chap from that point of view. And maybe he doesn't take life football too seriously as some people, but he knows what he can do for Sittingbourne. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it was very interesting to chat to him. And, and you know, he's, he's a local lad. And you, you heard him say there, he remembers going to watch Sittingbourne back in the 60s and the 70s. And it, it was really good. And it is interesting, this, this plans for development. I mean... People will know, I've, I've mentioned it before, Woodstock Park is a long way out of the town centre f- from, from Sittingbourne. But there is always talk that something's going to be happening up there. And there are, someone's putting plans for 11,000 houses up on that, in that sort of area, not far from the science park. And there are so many issues with that. And as someone who lives in Sittingbourne, I do have my concerns, especially about the traffic and everything. But we, we talked before about Sittingbourne's location, but if they build 11,000 houses right round that, that will help that club out so much, and you know that they'll be able to. They'll find a new fan base, and all the while the Premier League keeps going like it is, and it becomes more and more expensive. And you know there is that there is that gap. Like we said, there's no one in the middle of the county at the moment. No, there's no there's no way Sittingbourne can sustain that push. But you know, if they did get that big development, if they did get the chance, they they could almost be a ready-made club. And with people behind the scenes like Morris and like the Pitts who are so passionate about that club, there is potential there. But at the moment. As you heard Morris say, his only focus is on keeping that club sustainable for the people who want to go and watch it at the moment. Well, and he, and he also said about the, you know, you know, people like Steve Love or Mark Beanie you know, have, have used Sittingbourne as a, a learning sort of curve for from a club, and, and that's the sort of club that they are. I think interesting. But he was disappointed that the you know, the, the under twenty three side that did so well last season all day went, and now he's, he's got the new manager in who knows a bit more about the youth system and to bring players in. So. Yeah, I think it was a really interesting interview from that point of view. And if you're a City Ball fan, I think uh, you'll be quietly pleased at where the club's going. Disappointed Nick Davis is gone. Uh, and I love the bit that Nick Davis' dad used to help out of the ground and the, uh, and the coaching. And that's all gone, but he's going to find somebody else. And 
good luck for, for the rest of the season. Again, they had a great start to the season. Let's hope they can end the season in the same manner. Yeah, well, the uh, the new City Mall manager, obviously, Azan Adev, has been unbeaten in the week. That's because both their games have been called off. But do you want to feel really old and depressed, Matt? Uh, I do that every day. Aslan Adev, the manager of Sittingbourne, is 26 years old. Brilliant. Excellent. He's got all his badges, I think he said, from that. So, uh, oh, what a 26. No, he's making me feel old. But, yeah, it's a young man's game now. You think of people like Chris Kinnear, who's at, well, getting on to 65, and people starting out. I think there's no reason why that, uh, Adev can't go and have a, a good enough career like from that point of view. And probably Sittingbourne's a good club to the game. There is expectations in there, but there's not massive expectations. So he can work there, and maybe you won't be under too much pressure early on. I think I mean I've, I found that really fascinating when I found out that he is 26. You know, he's involved in a in a sort of soccer school as well. I think that's his, his sort of day job. So you know that is a, a way into it for him. And you know, Sittingbourne, as we said there, and as we've said before, they need to get the local players because that's that's where their their strength is going to lie. And I guess Nick Davis is a bit of a case in point there because. You know, he's obviously a local lad. He's He played for the club, went on to manage the club. His dad got involved in the club. And there's no reason why they can't keep finding that sort of thing in the, in the local area to really help the club progress and, and move on and be what the, what the town of City will need them to be. They don't need them to be flying up the league, but they need to be a football club that people can go and watch when they want to on a Saturday. If they want to watch some football, go and pay your £9 or whatever it is up at, up at Woodstock Park. Yeah, it's cold. Yeah, it's going to be a bit, you know, sometimes if the wet, if it's raining, it's not very pleasant up there. But, and you know, for £9, if it's got local people in it, then I can't see any problems with the way City are going to go there. No, I think it's a lot of sides that um, would go down that route. I'm, I'm thinking, of, and I was thinking earlier today, maybe some sitting ball can be some sort of a, you know, I hate to use the word feeder club, but for some of the bigger clubs in, in the Kent area who may want to loan players out, you probably know we are going to get, going to be well run, well organised, and can work from that point of view. I know feeder clubs would be not a, a, a thing that clubs want to hear, but there's no reason why the Gilds, Mate saying we've got these academy players. I know Dover sort of got some sort of understanding with Ramsgate for their players now. Just get them, let them to learn and grow at Seaborn and play men's football. Can they benefit both parties if they do that? Indeed, and, and you know I, I really hope it works out for them. And and but you know when a club has got people, local people who are passionate about the club, but behind it like they have at Seaborn, everything's going to work out all right. Um, anyway, as and the devil finally hopes to have his first game in charge on Saturday when Morton Casuals visit. And there's a derby of sorts in the Bostick Division 1 South, albeit with 70 miles between the home grounds when Ramsgate hosts Cray Wanderers. Um, elsewhere, Faversham travel to East Grinstead. VCD go to Greenwich, which is a lot closer than Ramsgate against Cray, to be fair. Uh, Thamesmead travel to Guernsey. Home Bay take on South Park. Hythe hosts Rockbottom Shoreham. And Phoenix Sports host Whiteleaf. And... That uh, just leaves with the National League South, where Dartford lost at St Albans, but they're still three points clear at the top, although some of the teams below them do have games in hand. This weekend, they've got a tasty game at home to Chelmsford, who sit just outside the playoff places at the moment, um, while Welling United also at home to Gloucester City. Dartford against Chelmsford was a playoff semi-final last year, wasn't it, Matt? And, and I guess Dartford will want revenge in that one. Yeah, that's probably... You're thinking about six-pointers there. At the moment, they're eight points clear of um, Chelmsford, Dartford. Chelmsford will have a game in hand if they win that game that's the, the nerves with that game Dartford is not in their hands now we're having to lose and win all their games now and they'll go top of the division now, my theory that St Albans had used all their goals up didn't come to fruition if they spanked more passes than that the weekend like, that's what, always my concern maybe for Dartford good at home now but away from home against some of the better sides in this division they can be punished so again they've got to interesting to see how they bounce back from that but a Chelmsford game that'll be a decent crowd there a bit, a bit of a bogey side for them. I think they beat them in the FA Cup last year, Chelmsford, didn't they, Dartford? But, yeah, I think Chelmsford will be up there. That will be a, that's probably a, more of a local derby than uh, Cray against uh, Ramsgate, that one, isn't it? <laughs> It certainly is. And I mean, Chelmsford are a club that I know pretty well. They were um, who I covered when I first sort of got into my last job at the, at the local papers. Um, it was my job to cover Chelmsford. And there's, a, again, really good people behind the scenes there. They have their ups and downs, certainly financially, and they're not out by their by their ground. But, um, you know, a good club, Chelmsford. And they're, they're definitely a sleeping giant at that level because you get the feeling if they can fight, ever get over the line and actually get that promotion, I think they can really push on. But... I think Dartford will, even though they had a bad result last weekend, they'll go into that one full of confidence and it will be playing on their minds that last year in the playoff semi-final, Chelmsford came to Prince's Park and did them. So they'll be looking at it thinking, 
this is the one that we really want to win. And, you know, the, the determination is still there from Dartford. And all they can do is keep on winning. Yeah, if haven't win all their games in hand, then haven't win all their games in hand. But, you know, Dartford are, are, still, are still in a great position. And, and they've got the experience from last year. They've got some good players there. And I don't think there's any reason for Dartford to panic. They just need to get back on the horse this weekend. Yeah, I think the results probably went Hampton lost, didn't they? St Albans, who Ian, Ian Allenson, who probably knows his level, he's got promoted at this level. Um, could be a, it could be a, a concern if they carry on their goal-scoring form. It, it, it's, it's a six-pointer for Darth against Chelmsford, there's no doubt about it. Um, would you take a draw? Maybe, because you don't know what Chelmsford are going to get. And I'd rather manage who's won this division on Stringer, so they know all about it. It's, um, it's, a, it's a real heavyweight clash there, but again, just to uh, yeah, I said last week I didn't know if Darfa could go on and win it. I wasn't too surprised they lost it to Albans, but if they can get a result against Chelmsford to uh, this one Saturday, maybe that will, my concerns may go a little bit better. Yeah, right. Well, that's about it for the football. But uh, I saw about three minutes of this celebrity go dating show that Mike Margate's muggy Mike Thalassitis is on, and. Um, I wasn't particularly impressed by what I saw. You, you've told me that you've got some sources watching it. I still think it's you, but uh, what what are your sources telling you, Matt? Well, I don't know if I can say this on, on a on a family podcast, but a lady at work watches it. She hasn't been too impressed with him. He's a bit of a mug, but if his nickname is Muggy Mike, but um, he seems to think that he's virtually um, irresistible to the opposite sex. And apparently, this is what he said. You may want to right if you're of a uh, you know, you may want to uh, turn your podcast down because it does cause some saucy language. Here we go. Most people say I'm a handful. The girls say I'm, I'm leaving it at that. Yeah, I think we will leave it at that. And uh, that is all you need to know about why. That was Muggy Mike, not me. Yeah, I, but I, that's all you need to know about why I will not be watching that sort of programme and that that sort of programme is everything that is currently wrong with uh, this, the state of this country. I would I would go as far as to say that's not an exaggeration. That is absolutely vile. So we won't be talking about that again unless your sources tell us he does anything interesting like actually talk about football or kicker football or something like that. That is more than enough of that. Um, I assume you're at Dover again Saturday, Matt? Yeah, uh, against, uh, against Sutton, there's been a bit of a war of words between um, Sutton and uh, Paul Doswell, the, uh, uh, the owner or manager of, of Sutton, who you know, he does put some uh, money in, I think, to the club we pay for the uh, 3G surface. So, uh, yeah, he, he's big in the 3G, and we know Dover are too keen on the 3G, so should be an interesting game on Saturday again. Again, Dover, they beat Bournemouth and they were above them in the league last time. Let's hope they can do it to... Um, Sutton this weekend, but it could be some could be fire in the uh, in the uh, off the pitch as well as on the pitch. Excellent. I'm not sure if I'm going to get out to a game this weekend. I've got a few things on, but if I do, I may well find myself down at Southwood because I think that'd be a quite a good game. Ramsgate against Cray. I think Cray hit scored quite a few when they met earlier in the season, and um, Cray obviously had a little bit of a stutter the last few games. So interesting to see if they can get back on track. And obviously, I always enjoy seeing the Rams. I was disappointed I didn't see them on Tuesday. Um, that is all for this week's show. It's, it's gone on for quite a lot, uh, quite a long time. Sorry about that one, but hey, it's more entertainment for you, for all free of charge as always. Um, it's been a, it's been another good show. Thanks for everyone for listening, and thanks especially to uh, to Morris Dunk for speaking to me at twenty to eleven last night to to, to be on the podcast, which was a Really fantastic, and I hope you all enjoyed that interview. Um, as always, if you want to get in touch, we're on Twitter at Kent NL Podcast, on Facebook at Kent Non League. Um, and all that remains to say is, as always, thanks for listening, and we shall speak to you all next week. Thanks a lot. I'm off to wash my mouth out with soap. Good boy.